0: steps this way and our ears are going to bleed. If you've ever seen the movie Saving Private Ryan, uh, it's not really one of my favorites. I like it, but I mean I didn't use it because it's one of my favorites. But there's a scene, the opening scene of that movie, um, the first time I I watched, and I forget if I was in middle school or maybe early high school, um, but maybe it's just the way God speaks to me. He doesn't always speak to me through a hymn or a Christian song or a Christian movie, but it'll speak to me as well through, you Secular lyrics, or secular music, or secular um, yep. movies. I remember watching the uh, the opening scene, you know, where they're storming the beaches of Normandy, and and really wondering would I would I be willing? How far could I go out of the boat, knowing that I was probably going to lose my life? Like, how far could I could I make it? I mean, even just on on would I even do it? Like, not could I dodge bullets and get on the shore? But how far would I be willing to? Go so that those behind me could go further than me would i be too scared to even get out of the boat would i not be there in the first place how far am i willing to go you know for other people so that they may advance and so since then uh, so this is about i don't know like 10 years of sermon in the making i guess i don't know but since then I, I started thinking spiritually how far am i willing to go how far are we the body of christ how far are we willing to go so that other people can know christ maybe even more than us so that, so that they can experience Christ on levels that maybe I don't get to experience. Am I okay with that if they get to go further than I get to go? Am I okay with it if they get more freedom than I get? Would I, would I be okay with that? That's what I want to focus on today. So if you have your Bibles, we'll be in John 11. We'll go 1 through 44 and we'll read the entire story of, uh, of Jesus' encounter with Lazarus. If you, uh, If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in front of you. If you don't own one, take this one home with you do on one, but you left it at home, leave this one here, I don't want to add to your collection. But if you don't have one, that's a gift uh, from us to you. Uh, I'll pray, and then we'll uh, we'll dive into this. Now, I will tell you this, how far are we willing to go so others may be free? This will come kind of at the end of uh, of, our, of the message today. We won't wait till next week. We'll answer it today, and we'll focus on it today, because it comes at the end of Jesus' encounter with Lazarus in this text. And I could have just started there. But we would have missed out on a lot of other things that happened, uh, an interaction that Jesus has with his disciples and Mary and Martha before we get to that part. And so uh, that's why I chose to go all verses 1 through 44. Uh, but let's pray, and then we'll dive into it. God, thank you for this opportunity, Lord, to share your word. I pray that is what I'll do. God, not my agenda, not my opinion. Lord, I pray that I'll share. know when to relent. God, I pray I'll go as far as you allow me to go and no further. And I pray that of all things you're glorified. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. So John 11 verse 1. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory that God's Son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. I want to stop there for a second. Because if you read the scriptures and, and, and you're inquisitive like I am, we got to do something with this text. Like, I have a lot of questions already. Like, when Jesus hears this word that the one he loved is sick, why did he stay two more days? Why did he wait? Why didn't he go now, or why didn't he go as soon as he heard the uh, the news that, hey, Lord, the one you love is sick, it's Lazarus. You know, Mary and Martha, Lazarus. You know the family. You love him. Y'all are great friends. He's sick. He needs some help. We should go. And Jesus waits two more days. Well, I'm convinced happens in our waiting and maybe that's why God allows us to to wait maybe you're in a season of waiting right now I talked about this a little bit at Christmas but I'll add this addition to it now I believe one of two things happens when we're wait when we have to wait when we wait on the Lord one of two things I believe happens one either our faith is proved genuine and is displayed in our being able to rest and find peace in God's promises that he is at work and that he is in control so while we're waiting maybe we have peace that you know God has this completely under control. He's not unaware of what's going on. He's at work and I'm just going to be still and be at peace knowing that he's in control and trusting him. So that's one thing that can happen to our faith while we wait. The opposite that can happen to our faith or the other that can happen to our faith is we can discover our lack of faith which is displayed in our anger and aggression towards God. And so we'll look and see how Mary and Martha handled the waiting as we as we proceed through the text verse 7, then Jesus said, after the two days, let us go back to Judea. The rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews tried to stone you, and you are going back there. Jesus answered, are there not twelve hours of daylight? A man who walks by the day will not stumble, for he sees by this world's light. It is when he walks by night that he stumbles, for he has no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Then Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant a natural sleep. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I'm glad I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go, that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brothers or their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Verse 21: Lord, Martha said to Jesus, If you had been here, my brother would not have died. I want to stop there for a second. Because here's the the scene you have. Mary and Martha, and I'm assuming maybe other family members of Lazarus. And you have a community of of the Jewish people who have also gathered. Maybe they're uh, similar to the Methodists. Maybe they brought casseroles. Maybe they brought bread, or food, potatoes, whatever. Maybe they just brought some food, but they're going to comfort and mourn with uh, Mary and Martha and the rest of Lazarus' family. And then when Jesus arrives and they hear that Jesus is there, Mary stays put. But Martha goes out to meet Jesus, and she has this uh, response for him. Hey, Lord, if you'd have been here, this wouldn't have happened. And maybe we've never said that verbally. has the posture of your heart ever been one of, Lord, had you been here, this wouldn't have happened. Had you been aware of what was going on in my life, this would not have been the case. Hey God, if you would have been at work, you could have saved the day. Had you shown up? Had you been aware? Had you done something? Had you not ignored me? Had you not waited, the outcome would have been different over here. Has that ever been the posture of your heart? I confess it's been the uh, posture of my heart on numerous occasions, and I have to repent of it and understand that God is in control whether I like the results or not. What about you? Have you ever had that posture towards the Lord? Had you been here, Jesus, had you had been here, this would not have happened. She goes on to say in verse 22, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in Me will live even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in Me will never die. Do you believe this? Let's answer that question today. Not just the Sunday school answer of, yes, I believe this, but do you believe this? Jesus says, I am the resurrection and I am the life. He who believes in Me will live even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in Me will never die. Do you believe this? That we'll have eternity somewhere. That we're in eternity now. That we will go on living forever somewhere. Do you believe this? Do you believe that through Jesus and through Christ alone, our eternity can be spent with the Father as our reward? That even though we die, we believe in Him, we'll live forever. Do you believe this? It may sound silly, but it's not silly to Jesus. It's what Jesus says. I'm the resurrection, I'm the life. If you believe in Me, you'll you'll live forever. Do you believe this? That's the cornerstone of our faith, right? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. And after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him, possibly waiting on Mary. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out. They followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw Him, she fell at His feet and said, Lord, if You had been here, my brother would not have died. Again, it's the same thing that Martha had said. So although they're two completely different people, two completely different personalities that we see from Scripture, both of them had the same response to the pain. Lord, had You been here, this wouldn't have happened. When He saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Let me ask you, when you read this text or when this text is being read, which one do you land on? Where do you land when you read that you know, Jesus wept? That Jesus was moved in the Spirit? Do you sympathize and say, man, look how Jesus loved Lazarus and Mary and Martha, and look how he loved his family. He's, he's moved to tears because of their grief. Or do you land over here where you say, well, I don't know why he didn't heal them. I mean, he can, he's raised dead people before. He would healed the blind. We know what he can do. We know what he's capable of. Why didn't he? So even in this text, where do you find yourself? Are you moved that Jesus was moved and that Jesus had sympathy for these people? Or are you already frustrated that that, that Lazarus died one death already. And now here's Jesus and Lazarus is in the tomb. Where do you find yourself in this text? Verse 38. Jesus once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Maybe you've seen a movie or a picture, but a stone that went over the entrance of a tomb, went over the entrance of a cave, was maybe a 4x4 four four or 5x5, five five, maybe even a little bit bigger. But imagine a wheel that's about a foot, uh, a foot thick, a 4x4, or 5x5, and you just push and just roll it over the mouth of, uh, of the cave. And then Jesus, when he arrives, he says to the community, to the people there, he says, take away the stone. And in that moment, the stone is the only thing that's standing between Lazarus and Jesus. It's the only barrier, and Jesus wants it removed. All right? It's the only thing standing between them. It's in the way, physically in the way. And he says, I want that out. So, of course, I read this, and my mind goes to, what is the stone, what are the stones in our life, that which stands between us and, and God, that which stands between us and coming to Jesus, what is it that's in the way? A relationship, a job? What is it? What desire do you have that's more... That you desire more than than Jesus? What is it you desire more than Jesus? What is it that's that stumbling block that you can't quite see Jesus because there's something blocking your your vision? And Jesus, it was in the way for Lazarus. It was this stone, a physical stone. And Jesus said, Remove the stone. I want that out of the way. I got to get to to my child here. I got to get to my friend. Remove the stone. And so they do. And then Jesus says of Lazarus, Lazarus, come out. And he does. Lazarus simply responds to the words of Jesus, the commands of Jesus. Lazarus come out. Lazarus comes out wrapped up like a mummy. All right, there's a bad odor. I wonder if there was flies buzzing around. I wonder if the people were holding their nose or fanning their face. There was a bad odor. He had been there for four days. And then Jesus says to, don't miss this, he says to the community of individuals. He says to Mary, to Martha, to the community of Jews who had made this little trip from the house to the tomb. He says to them, take off his grave clothes, get these wraps, this cloth, this linen that is is prepared for death, unwrap that, let him go. In other words, he needs to be free and he's wrapped in grave clothes. You all see to it that he's not covered in grave clothes. That's what I want to focus on this morning, is how do we view people in grave clothes? Are we willing to How far are we willing to go so that somebody else may be free, so that the Lazarus in our life may be free? So I want to talk about community first. And what's the difference between having just friends that will come over and eat wings with you and watch the game or that will shop with you or go fishing with you? What's the difference between those friends and then biblical, gospel-centered community that the Bible talks about that we see in Acts and throughout the New Testament that Jesus had with his own disciples? Well, for a gospel-centered community, there's accountability. There's a, there's a loving encouragement when you need it. Somebody will lovingly rebuke you when you need it. You're, you're willing to be known by the group, and you want to get to know the individuals of the group. This is gospel-centered community. That I'm going to carry your burden, you can carry mine. We'll lay hands and pray for you. Lay hands on me and pray for me. I've been struggling for four months with fill-in-the-blank. Will you pray for me? And hey, my marriage is going through this pray for me. Now, one reason why a lot of people don't want community, even in church, whether it be Wednesday night small groups or Sunday school, or whatever, is because in those small groups, they made a confession one time, and that confession was turned into gossip, wrapped in a prayer request. And then they were hurt by the church, they were burned by the church, and they either left the church altogether or they'll come on Sunday mornings but have nothing else to do with the church, and they don't want biblical community because they tried it one time, they were vulnerable one time, and it didn't work out well for them struggle with that and they hold that against the church i mean this place has to be a safe place in your small groups where you know somebody should not say to you i'm gonna tell you about so-and-so's marriage now they're struggling but i'm only telling you this so you can pray for them that shouldn't happen in church and that's one example we can give you dozens but you know the examples i'm talking about people who they'll wrap up gossip in a prayer request we can't have that here at least you can't have that in biblical community in the same place it can't happen it's see, one reason why we need accountability today. We just talked about love uh, last week and celebrated Valentine's Day. But we live in a culture right now that, that is really saying, specifically of Christians, that if you don't love and embrace and accept and tolerate everything that I choose, then you're a bigot. You hate me. All kinds of wicked names hurled at us. And yet, why can't I say, no, no, I love you enough to tell you I can't support this decision you making." we redefine love to where love now has to be you must agree with everything I say and do or you don't love me well Jesus doesn't call me to have that kind of love and biblically that isn't love in fact one of the um, spiritual pillars and mentors in my life love this guy to death his name's uh, Byron Barry uh, early on in my ministry I mean early in my, my first appointment um, I was talking to him and, and I was kind of struggling like, I was just kind of struggling with the church kind of struggling about if been the right call and I remember talking to Byron, and he said, hey, can I tell you something? And I said, yeah, man, tell me anything. And he's a couple years older than me, so I knew better than to talk back to him. But uh, he said, hey, can I, can I, are you sure? Are you prepared for this? And I said, yeah, man, lay it on me. He said, Tyler, you're arrogant. You think I felt great? You think I felt like a million dollars after he told me that one? But you know what my response was to him? I said, man, I feel like you hate me right now. And he said, no, 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 Tyler, if I hated you, I'd tell you how awesome you were and that you don't need to change. I love you enough to tell you sometimes, man, you come across as this, and I know you don't mean to, just be aware of that. And I've tried every sermon, every interaction with people to not come across as, as that. Because I hate that, and I didn't know that it was even in me. I was blind to it, but I needed that accountability in that community. I need I absolutely needed that. So when I talk about community, that's what I'm talking about. And sometimes God will use community in our lives to accomplish his work in us. And if Jesus surrounded himself with community, i.e. the twelve, and how much more should you and I surround ourselves with gospel-centered, biblical community? Men and women who will love us enough to, again, encourage us, love us enough to rebuke us, love us enough to pray for us, love us enough to follow up with us, love us enough to, as Jesus said, go the second mile. Another question is, how do we view, how do you view those who are wrapped in grave clothes? Do you, do you view them as with, with compassion? Or do we view them in an arrogant, self-righteous, their being dirty makes me feel clean? The fact that they smell bad makes me feel like I smell pretty good. The fact that they're wrapped in all kinds of drugs, sex, debauchery, rock and roll, you name it. The fact that they're wrapped in that, but I'm not, makes me feel really good about about my life. And and, and I'm crushing it compared to them. Is that how we view individuals who are wrapped in, in grave clothes? Wrapped in death? How far are we... How, what are we... Uh, How far are we willing to go to see to it that they are unwrapped from their grave clothes and that they can advance in in freedom? And in that transformation from from death to life, as we see with Lazarus, the the process can be smelly, it can be gross, it can be ugly. People may not like it. People may hold their nose. They may flee the scene because they can't take it. But how far are we willing to go with somebody that that we love dearly so that they may be possibly even more free than us? And it's possible that our walking alongside of somebody for their deliverance might lead to our own deliverance. Or, you know, some of us are always so selfish that we only care about our own freedom. So, hey, you figured out yourself. I'm working on my own things I'm struggling with so that I may be free. And as soon as I'm unwrapped myself, I'll come help you with yours. You know, is that our view? And are we alive but bound? You see, Lazarus was alive. And Jesus told him to come out. He was alive. He had life in his, in his, in his lungs. It was still wrapped. And perhaps some of us, you know, we, we, we're alive on the inside, but when we come to church, perhaps we're wrapped in fear and anxiety, insecurities, regrets, jealousy, self defeating thoughts, or self con, condemnation. And yet, when somebody asks you, How are you doing today? Man, I'm blessed, better than I deserve. And you might have been in a season of four months, you haven't felt the presence of God in a year, but all of a sudden, church has become a place where I can't be honest church has become the place where I can't be honest about my relationship with God, or I can't ask for prayer, has church really become the place where I can't find a community of believers? Like, surely not at church. Are we alive but, but bound? And how far are you willing to go that you may gain freedom? And keep in mind, that may be smelly, it may be ugly, may take a long time. How far are you willing to go so that you may, may be free? I want to share a story with you from a training camp right before I went the world race in 2010, that was January 2010, but in October of 2009, I went to a 10-day training camp in Gainesville, Georgia, and it was about 40 degrees, I don't know if that's common for Georgia in October, but it was about 40 degrees the whole week, it was kind of misty and, and rainy, and, and it was really just, a, it was more miserable those 10 days than any amount of time spent overseas on the world race. But well, they did this exercise one day where they took the girls and they went off and did their own kind of ministry thing, uh, Breaking Pride, and then they took the guys to do our own little ministry, Breaking Pride, a uh, little excursion. And so they took us about an hour away from our camp. We went to uh, Lake Lanier in Georgia, just outside of Gainesville, and there's a bunch of islands on that lake. And one island in particular they take us to, they said, um, all right, on this island, uh, they took us just where we were going we on the island at the, at the time, they, they where they where we were on land, we could see an island a quarter of a mile away, and we saw some canoes and some kayaks with people in it, and there were about 15 of us, 15 men, 15 of us guys, and then they had maybe 10 others of the staff that, for the organization, and they said, on this island it's about a quarter of a mile away, we've just started a bonfire, okay, and, and now it's, there's only coals there right now. There's a little bit of flame, but it's predominantly coals and ash, but you need to take this log that we're going to hand you, know, it's just a little fire log we're going to take this log we're going to give everybody a log and you need to swim from where we are a quarter of a mile to this island and put your log on the fire and then you can warm up you all can warm up by this fire and so caleb and i a friend of mine named caleb he and i were some of the first two to to get in the water and i'm kind of dog paddling back kicking my legs i have i'm facing everybody but i'm carrying this log and and uh and and it doesn't take too long because first of all it's 40 degrees and then it was uh and then it was also the water's really cold, so you're struggling to breathe when the water's that cold. And the water begins to push people under the water, and they would come back up, and I would see people who, who had, I guess, water gotten got in their lungs, and now they start throwing up. It's like there's vomit floating on the surface of some of you know, the water next to some of the people. Some of the guys are snot nose hanging from the nose, dripping over their mouth, hanging dripping from their chin. I want you to be there with me, okay? And you could quit, which, I mean, again, the men in the room will understand. No no man wanted to quit, and say, look, I'm out. Because if you quit, you could you could put your log in the canoe, which was great. We'd have dry wood for the fire. But if you did that, you had to hold on to the canoe the entire the entire time and let them just paddle you over to the island. Which, trust me, take it from a man, none of the guys wanted to do that. None of us wanted to do that. It's a little too prideful there. And as we're going, I real, I'm, I'm starting to see that this that this log we're carrying it really becomes a burden for us. And if you put that, and if your log touches the water, well, then it's no good, right? So it's a waste. You were too prideful, that now it's going to cost the overall group because you couldn't ask for help. But I can't ask my buddy Caleb to help carry my log. He's got his own to carry, right? Hey, I can't say carry my burden. He's already loaded down with his own. That And occasionally, you know, the, the the weight of the log would push you, and you couldn't touch the the, the ground. And so the weight of the log would begin to push you under the water, and you have to come fight back up and change hands because your shoulder would get sore. And so finally it hits me maybe like watching the movie saving private Ryan where God just starts speaking to me and says if you would just sacrifice your pride put your log in the water just be be done with it then you would be free to to carry Caleb's who's swimming right next to you you know but Caleb's over here struggling but you can't even see that he's struggling because you're so selfish thinking about your own burden All right, and this is what I, I mean I, while this is happening this is what I'm feeling coming from God and so I just I dropped my log in the water and I said Caleb and I take his log. We swim about five feet. And I said, i got to take it back. I can't. You now, here, it's, it's too much for me now. You, you carry it. And he'd swim a little bit more than I would take it. Finally, we made it to shore. We get out. We, we run to the, uh, to the fire, put the log on the fire. At this point, my feet now are beginning to fall out. And I, I can feel all the sticks and rocks and pine cones I've stepped on. And by the way, I'm freezing. i mean, I got nothing but a pair of shorts on at this point. And 40 degrees, cold, just swim a quarter of a mile to this island. I'm looking back, guys are hanging on sides of canoes, people have given up, and they just look defeated. I promise you, they're not laughing. Like they just feel like they're less of a man because they were because they had to give up. It's just kind of the pride. That's how they felt. But then Caleb and I go back in the water. Now Caleb can go help somebody with their log. And I can go help somebody with their log or their burden. But all the while what I want you to think about and what leave here today thinking is how far are you willing to go so that somebody else can be more free. Possibly more free than you. There are sins that I'll probably, or struggles, I shouldn't probably get to say sins, but struggles that I'll probably take to the grave with me. I said this at, at December. I'll say this uh, one time. Of course, I said that the early service ended up saying it twice. I'll say this one time, um, that, that I struggle with OCD, right? I've said that at Christmas before. And, and it's not OCD of touching something a hundred times. It's more of a spiritual side of things. But it is hell on earth for me. I'd gladly trade it with you if you had something else you struggle with. i will trade with you. Like, I don't struggle with sexual uh, Addiction, I don't struggle with. Alcohol abuse, I don't struggle with substance abuse. I don't struggle with gambling, I don't struggle with overeating, I don't struggle with that. But I struggle with OCD. I'm telling you, it is awful for me. You think my wife loves that I struggle with that? I think I'm going to have to ask her, hey, did I do this correctly? Do you think God's furious with me because I said this or did this? you think she loves having to fight that fight with me and, and oftentimes for me? But she's willing to do it. Why? that I may be more free than her at times. All right, so my son's here today, and I'm not going to preach about every, uh, I'm not going to talk about him every time, I, every time I preach, but I will say this about my son. Also, my wife let me pick out his outfit since it was my birthday today, so he's dressed like a soccer ball, if uh, if you haven't seen him, he looks like a soccer ball today. But I'll say this, and I'm going to end here, I'll end with this. I like Moses a lot in the scripture, and I like the, the story of Moses, and really all of it, um, even the difficult days of Moses, but you know, he spends 40 years in the desert. And then his reward for, for that um, is that, hey, you can't, you can't go into the promised land because you know, he disobeyed God and was a little frustrated and hit the rock with, with his staff and made water come out, and, which almost felt like was kind of an unjust punishment, but who am I to say that's unjust? But I read that and kind of feel for Moses a little bit. So he didn't make it to the promised land until you get to the New Testament where he's on the Mount of Transfiguration. But he goes to this high mountaintop and God shows him the promised land. But he says, Moses, you're going to die on this rock. You're going to die on this mountain. But your son Joshua will be the one to lead the Israelites, will lead your people into the promised land, the land I promised you with milk and honey. So Here's here's my point. I'm fine with my time in the desert if it means my son gets milk and honey. okay. I'm fine with wrestling OCD, put to death my pride, put to death arrogance. I'm fine with my wrestles with the flesh if it means my son never has to deal with that. And I'm willing to do that to endure the desert if it means my son always understands God's unconditional love, God's favor, and if my son does not have to deal with OCD the way that his father did. If I can take this to the grave with me, I'll take it to the grave if my son doesn't have to deal with it. I'll put up with it. It'll be worth it for me. How far are you willing so that somebody else might be more free than you. And again, don't forget, Jesus doesn't say to Lazarus, take off your grave clothes. He says to the community, take his grave clothes off. So are we as a church, how far are we willing to go so that visitors and so that people in the community may have more access, well, maybe that's not the right word, more access to God, but so they may be more free, maybe even than we are. And possibly in our walking alongside of someone, so for their deliverance, perhaps our deliverance is found in that. Well, that said, let's uh, let's close in prayer, and then we'll we'll sing again and get out of here. God, thank you for being a God who sacrificed everything, God, so that we may have the same reward as your Son. God, so that our reward will be you. God, are we willing to be vessels through which you reach us? God, I pray the answer is yes. God, even now as we run late, Lord, I pray that we will still be here in this moment with you. God, for our, our wives, for our husbands, God, for our children, for our friends, for our neighbors, God, I pray that we will be willing to do all we can so that they may even further than we are. God, I pray above all things you're glorified. In Christ's name I pray.